Listener Production. So Will Davies used to be a mortgage broker and a successful one at that. He was making plenty of coin and working his own hours, but selling mortgages didn't light his fire. So he sold his business and created from scratch a business that has him jumping out of bed every single day. It's a purposeful episode 545 of the 12-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing madness. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you are well and truly ready. You're overdue to create some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly what we do around here. If you are new to this podcast, a big warm welcome from the SBBBM, that's the Small Business Big Marketing family. And if you are new to the podcast and love it, be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher. I'm part of the Listener Network, so download that app and subscribe. You'll never miss another episode, and it's all free. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. So today's guest is Will Davies, who grew then sold for seven figures, mind you, a successful mortgage-broking business that paid well, enabled him to work his own hours from anywhere. (laughs) That's a good business. So why did he sell? That's a fair question. Well, simply because he wasn't on purpose. He realised that selling mortgages wasn't why he was put on this earth. What he was here to do, he realised, was to save the world by having fewer cars on the road. So he started Car Next Door, which is an online peer-to-peer car sharing service. He'll explain a bit more of that early in the interview. Today, Car Next Door, how's this? Has 4,000 cars listed, has 180,000 borrowers annually, facilitates 22,000 trips every month, and here's the big one, is turning over $30 $30 million annually. Not a, That's not a bad scoreboard. Let's go and find out how Will did it. I started off by asking him what was the most interesting car he's listed so far. Basically, I started Car Next Door because I hate cars. Uh, so when I'm not, a, I'm not a car lover. Um, <laughs> and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to take them off the road. So in actual fact, the answer to that question is you don't care. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. I don't really care. We don't have it. We don't have a marketplace of flashy, expensive cars. Cars are a great way to get from A to B, and we want to create a world where people can access a car without needing to own it. Because the average car is only used about six percent of the time, and the other ninety-four percent it's left sitting around. So, what we're really trying to do is get as many cars that drive. Uh, they're yeah, in good condition, but the, <laughs> just basic cars are out and about to create the network. So, look, to answer your question, we've, we've got BMWs and convertibles and Mercedes. And, I mean, the advantage of having a peer-to-peer platform like ours is that you get all the different varieties of cars. Yes. But that's it's not what we're trying to do. We've also got a lot of Kias and Toyota Corollas and uh, 
and and some older cars and newer cars. But right. Yeah, we, we try to keep the cars good quality, but it's not flashy. So, Will, the fact that you really don't like cars and your whole kind of reason for being is to get cars off the road because they're only used 6% of the time on average, and I would be guilty of that. Does that mean that you are a bit of an environmental warrior and you are looking for a way to exercise that energy when you started Car Next Door? Yeah, that's uh, the motivation for the business. I had a mortgage-broking business and built that up to a team. I had a team of 20. It was going very well. I was making good money. I was, I was actually able to go on sort of two or three months of holiday a year. So I had the whole lifestyle thing going and, and good money. But when I got to about 28, I, I made the decision that, well, I'd been getting more and more concerned about humans buggering up the environment in many different ways. But I think the most critical way that we're doing it is just producing way too much carbon, which is, in my view, is going to have catastrophic effects. I don't think I'm all that alone in that view. And so I I basically made the decision that I wanted to focus all of my business efforts on trying to reduce carbon. So looked at a bunch of different ideas and ways to reduce carbon. I won't go into the detail of all the different harebrained schemes I had, but basically peer-to-peer car sharing was the best idea that I could think of at the time. Very interesting. Without going into the detail of the ideas that you came up with, I'm very interested to know what that ideation process looked like for you. Did you literally go away for a period of time with some people whose opinions you respected and just whiteboard it, blue skied it, or was it something you did by yourself over a couple of beers one night? What's it look like? Well, it was a it was a quite a long process. So basically, what I did was I made the decision that. I wanted to be focusing my efforts on reducing carbon. I then looked at the mortgage-breaking business and try as I might, I could not work out a way to make mortgage-breaking reduce carbon. So I... Com- communal living? Yeah, community, I guess I guess there's, <laughs> there's directions I could have taken. So I, I made the decision to sell that business and it was a good business and I got a good chunk of money from it. And so that bought me some time to really, you know, just basically my my... Criteria was needed to be a great business. It would need to be the potential to be a great business and needed to significantly reduce carbon. That was the two things. Yeah, right. And so basically then I just, so I had that that criteria in my head and over the next uh, year, every conversation that I had and every meeting that I had or everything I read, I had that filter through everything. So you come across a lot of good ideas. You think, geez, that'd be a great business. And then you go, all right, is it going to help reduce carbon? No. Well, I've got to cut that, um, which is quite painful because, you know, I'm sure that you have the same thing. You, you see a good idea and you kind of want to pursue it. And so, yeah, with those criteria in mind, found a bunch of different ideas. Right. Over over a course of, of many months, it sounds like a year. Yeah. Tell, tell me, again, interested in, here you are, you're running a successful business. You build a mortgage-broking business up, plenty of staff, plenty of turnover, plenty of profit, three months off a year, life's good, right? Clearly, there was some aspect to you that just it wasn't fulfilling. And I suppose I'm going to use the word courage. You had the courage to sell it and actually direct your attention to something that does, I guess, make you jump out of bed in the morning. But was it a really hard decision or the fact that you were going to get a big number for the sale of the business made it very easy? When I made the decision, I still owned the mortgage broking business. So I made it. Basically, what happened is I actually went on this course, and the course asks you to sit down for. You basically took a full day, and you're saying, right, what's 
what do I love and what's my purpose? You know, what's my purpose in life? And I came to, you know, the end of that day, I, I love the environment and, and protecting the environment. I want my purpose to be helping to protect the environment. That's, that, that was my, where I ended up with it. And then when I did that, there was a, a complete mind shift in my head and I just basically lost all passion for mortgage broking. Hmm. And I really had no, I think if I had stuck with mortgage broking, I would have probably run the business into the ground because all the power and, and desire to want to keep growing that just uh, seeped out of me. And, and yeah. you, you seem like a pretty black and white type of guy. I'm guessing it was a, probably a, a question that you asked yourself and the answer came or how did you identify your purpose and arrive on it to the point where you go, that's it, it's not negotiable? Yeah, and, that, and I've been, um, if you were to ask me what do I want to focus my energies on, it's still protecting the environment. And so, look, if you sit down for a, even an hour or two hours with a friend and, and get that friend to, to quiz you, like, what do you love? Why is it that you love that? What do you want to do? Then often the answer will come. But it's amazing how many people don't take the, that small bit of time to get to the core of what is their purpose in life and what are they really trying to do with themselves. Like it's like the fundamental question that most people never ask themselves. And so I was lucky enough to to do that when I was about 28 and then I guess lucky enough to also to actually take it seriously and follow it. So, but, yeah, definitely it makes my life a hell of a lot easier because when I'm making, you know, you're doing stuff like this, I've had years where car next door has been really tough but if you've got a bigger why and you're not just doing it for the money it's such a, a position of strength to be in i come at that and I, t- I understand everything you said and i agree with it the one thing and it comes time and time again in having interviewed over 540 or 550 successful business owners like yourself the one thing many of you have got going for you is you've got a lot of dough in the bank and i just want to represent the people who don't ha- who aren't on purpose who are desperately trying to find their purpose but can't because they've got to earn a dollar and I just find that I mean I guess that's just and that's got why money itself's not important but the freedom it gives us to choose is anything to say to that well yeah certainly for me selling the mortgage broking business having a good chunk of dough bought me the time and opportunity to do what I wanted, which was to set up another business doing that. But, I mean, basically the mortgage-broking business started that from scratch and built that up and, you know, got seven figures for that. So a good, good chunk of money. But let's say that you did that process that we just talked about. You got really clear on your why. Setting up your own business to achieve that and self-funding that is is one way to, to do it. But you could also come up with a great business idea and get funding for that. You could also join an existing business that has got the right direction, the direction that you want to do in place. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, right, I've got this idea, but the only way to do it is to set up a business and plug a few hundred grand into it. Right, I will. Enough of this purpose nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what a waste waste of a podcast. I know, I know. No value there. Mate, I could do an entire podcast series on that. Maybe one day I will. Car next door, mate. Explain how the idea finally arrived, we sort of have in that sense, but the minute you go, that's the idea, what did you do to get it to market? Basically, uh, what I did was I 
got about 50 mates and I created a survey and I asked them, you know, here's what I'm thinking about. A, what's a good name for it? Uh, and then B, would you consider renting out your car on something like this? And then C, would you consider borrowing? And what I found out from that, very limited survey, but, you know, something, was that uh, roughly 30% of my friends were willing, said that they would share out their car on it. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. Uh, I then looked up overseas and found out there were some really fledgling peer-to-peer car sharing companies getting going overseas. Uh, they're now both worth over a billion dollars, but back then, like, they were, you know, one, one hadn't even launched and one had 10 or 15 cars. And I got on their website and I saw that they had the car, this car, John's, you know, Corolla or whatever in America had 10 trips. And then what I'd do is I'd come back every week and I'd see that that 10 trips had now become 11 trips or 12 trips. And I did that for their 50 cars that they had on the platform at the time. So I saw, all right, well, people are actually listing cars in America and people are actually taking trips because I can see the trip counter going. And so I kind of had a feeling that, you know, there was something there. And then the third thing that I did was I was a member of another car sharing organisation in that was in Sydney. And so I got someone in the Philippines to go to that their site and you could kind of work out when those cars were getting booked by going to the site and saying, oh, this car wasn't booked on this time. You check an hour later, yep, it, it got a booking. So I got, I got someone in the Philippines to do that for about two weeks and I could see that the cars on this other car sharing site were getting utilised about 20 or 30% of the time. And, you know, if you work out backwards, you could work out they were, they were making good money out of car sharing those cars. So I was like, all right, my friends would rent out the cars in Australia. There's people renting out cars overseas successfully. There's people using it overseas. And uh, there's an equivalent sort of car sharing. It's not peer-to-peer, but at least it's car sharing in Australia that's getting used. And then from there, you then go, all right, well, I think there's something here. And the next step is to just make that irrational decision that this is what I'm going to, I'm going to drop all these other ideas that I'm, I'm thinking of. And this is what I'm going to do. And you just got to go for it, even though you know that there's just still a very high chance of failure. What, 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 what was it then? Because your numbers at 30%, and research is a funny thing because 30% of people might say, yeah, yeah, I'd rent my car out. But when, when it's time, excuse the pun, for the rubber to hit the road, it's like, oh, shit, you know, I thought you said you would. And it's like now it's down to 5%. I don't know what that number became. The other part of that is... I don't know if any of my mates ended up renting out their cars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, but then the other part of that is America's... And I the, the two that you're watching overseas were in America. America's a different place to Australia in some sense. I think, you know, sometimes we think we're the same, but we're not. And I would have thought Australians might have had a different attitude and a less positive attitude to the idea. And the research wouldn't show that up. So am I right or is it? I I think that as it turns out, I think Australians are actually just as open to sharing their cars and assets as Americans, even more so. Like, so for example, on Airbnb, I think Sydney is literally Airbnb's number one city. And so... I might have thought that back then, but that's not how it ended up playing out. Yeah, there's certain data that you kind of like, you know, 30% of my friends said that they would rent out their cars on, on, on my platform. There's a lot of grains of salt you'd take with that. But being able to see in America, yes, people are actually renting out their cars and actually booking, that's, that's some really good solid data that, 
you know, you might not have if you if your business is the first in the world, but I was lucky enough to to have it in during my research phase. So will a business like Car Next Door requires people to list their cars for rent and it requires people to want cars to rent. And it's a chicken or the egg thing. It's a marketplace. How do you build it? Where do you put your attention in year one? Is it about obviously getting cars listed and saying, listen, haven't got a whole lot of traffic yet, excuse the pun, um, but that's coming. How did you, how'd you build it? Well, I guess the way that we looked at it, because we were thinking about the chicken and the egg issue as well, but until you got the cars, you, you got nothing to sell. So we had to get a certain number of cars. Uh, but what we did at Car Next Door was we decided we wanted to build a, a little prototype. And so we only launched Car Next Door in Bondi in Sydney. And so what our goal is in that first year was we wanted to get 25 or 30 cars in Bondi and we wanted to get five or 600 borrowers on in Bondi. So we really, we thought if we can get this going in Bondi, we can then raise some more capital and, and say, look, we've got this working prototype. We're now ready to expand it out. I think every business needs to work out what that prototype is for them. So for Carnex Door, it was geographic. That's what made sense. Because if you think about it, if you live in Bondi, you don't really care how many cars there are in Randwick or, you know, other suburbs. All you care about is the cars within a few hundred metres of you. So geographic focus made a lot of sense for us. But other businesses, it might be some other focus. So, you know, we've got this idea for a new store that we're looking to do um, that's going to have 100 products. Well, let's just see how we go with one product for starters and just go with that niche, 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 niche. There's riches in the niches. <laughs> <laughs> so for us, so that made it really achievable. So what did we do in year one? Well, we got 25 cars on and how we did that, uh, and we got the 500 borrowers as well. We went to the Bondi farmer's markets every week. We did letterbox drops in Bondi only, and we got PR in Bondi in the Wentworth Courier, which is the local Bondi rag. We didn't bother with trying to get, you know, in the big papers or anything like that. And that was enough for us to get those 25 cars, get them installed. What did you do at the farmer's market? Hand out flyers? Yeah, basically just set up a stall at the farmer's market. And oh, um, everyone who walked past, we handed out flyers, talked to them about the idea. Usually you get a pretty, you know, forward-thinking group of people at the farmer's market. So, yeah, we would have got, um, I don't know, seven or eight cars and probably 50 or 60 borrowers out of the farmer's market. Not scalable at all, but really good just to get that prototype going. So, so when when did you go, well, this is a good idea, it's working, and you started to get a bit of scalability about it that allowed you to, what, go to the greater Sydney area or interstate? What was that point? Yeah, we got these 25 users, 600 borrowers. We're starting to run out of money. So I put, we talked about this as the start, I, I put in 250 grand and me and my co-founders worked for free for the first year. And so we sort of burnt through that money uh, and we're getting close to the end and then we went to capital raise. But what I could then take to that capital raise was the fact that we've got this prototype going. Yeah, the average car is getting five bookings a month and they're making reasonable money and it's, and it's working and now we want to expand it out. So we raised 600 grand at that point. And then once we raised that money, we could say, all right, well, now we're going to go to another eight or 10 suburbs in Sydney and we're actually going to launch in Melbourne. And we had a bit of a, a playbook going from 
how we did Bondi, we could copy some of those things and we could also start to test some new marketing that was more scalable. So in terms of niching, so it's an, an online business essentially, sort of online, offline, but niching geographically, what are you doing? You're getting some coverage in the local paper. You're going to the local farmer's market. You're just doing local marketing essentially. So And letterbox and dropping. dropping. Letterbox dropping. That's clever. Yeah. It's clever. There's no wastage. You're speaking directly to the locals, the ones who are going to use the service. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and we, it was interesting. We had this, we had a competitor who launched at the same time as us uh, called Ride Eco. Really? Was that a coincidence? Oh, yeah, I think it was coincidental. Yeah. But what they did was they, they decided to launch Australia-wide. We had this crap website. We didn't really work on a mobile phone, but we, we got out there and we just got that density going in the area. Meanwhile, they launched Australia-wide. They had, they had apps for Android and Apple straight away. They were trying to launch in airports as well as the whole of Australia. Rookies. Yeah. And we were kind of thinking, oh, geez, because, you know, back then you're going, oh, are we doing this all wrong? Like they're... And they ended up getting, you know, one, two cars in Sydney, three in Melbourne and two in Perth or whatever, and no one used it. Then they shut the whole thing down after four months. So, you know, I I think that our case, the way that we did it, and it it was great that we actually had a direct comparison, turned out to be a much better way for testing a new idea than than theirs. It's a classic example, Will, what you just explained with the competitor of trying to be everything to everyone and you end up being nothing to no one because you just don't get that critical mass anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Okay, so you build it up, you go beyond Bondi into other parts of Sydney. That's working. At some point, what you you got great Sydney coverage, and then you go to Melbourne, or what? What does that look like in terms of expanding out? Yeah. So I guess we so we went from Bondi, and then we went eastern suburbs, inner west, and you know northern beaches or something like that in Sydney. So still pretty tight where there's a bit higher density. Because that that helps with a with a car sharing service, with Melbourne we basically launched. We thought we'd let's just try launching the whole of Melbourne all at once, and so we said right five kilometer or ten kilometer radius of Melbourne, we're just going to launch that whole area. So picked a bunch of areas and just and got started there, because we kind of we now knew that it was generally working, and it's just about scaling it better. So we didn't think suburb by suburb was the way to do it ongoing, but. Once we got that first suburb, then going broader. If my chat with Car Next Door's Will Davies is inspiring you to create some great marketing to grow that beautiful business of yours, then grab a copy of my marketing book, The Boomerang Effect, which will show you how being helpful in your marketing returns you more customers, makes you more money. Thanks to the 6,036 who have already bought it, they'd be business owners, I'm guessing, or people interested in marketing. You can grab a signed copy over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Now, back to Will. Explain the revenue model, Will, of Car Next Door for both you, the business owner, and for the person sharing their car. So basically how it works is a car owner will list their car on the platform. They set their pricing, so we give them some guidance. Free to list? Free to list, yep, mm-hmm. no, no cost. Uh, so average car might be 40 bucks a day or $8 an hour or something like that. We install a few bits of technology on their car that gives the GPS tracking and also a machine that hands over the key to the car. And then a borrower will take a trip on the car. The average trip ends up being coincidentally about $100 
you know, it might be two or three days or whatever. And of that, the owner gets roughly $65 and we get roughly $35. Out of our $35, we need to look after the you know, damage and insurance to the car. And so we're aiming to get $20 is left to run our business. So 15 bucks goes to sort of damage and other costs of service. How do you overcome? For me, you know, I've got a car sitting in the driveway. I hardly use it. I'm always on my Vespa now. I kind of like the idea of making a bit of dough from it, but I, I'm too scared. I don't trust people to look after it, you know, insurance-wise. I mean, how do, we, how do you manage this? So let's just take you, for example. So you've already got insurance, I'm guessing, for the car. Yes. So you just keep that. And then when a borrower borrows the car, then we've got insurance that cuts in for that trip. So we get the borrowers to take photos at the start and the end of each trip, and then they, that sits on our on our site and on our app. And if there's damage reported, then we can work out, oh, well, the damage happened during this booking, and then we just charge the borrower. And if it's more than that, then the insurance kicks in, right. basically. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. So it's a pretty it's, – it's, that's actually not that complicated, but people have got different levels of – attachment to their car and if you've got someone that's highly highly attached sees a car as you know potentially part of themselves it's going to be it's going to be pretty hard to uh for them to go on our platform (laughs) no doubt it's not frictionless and we all love frictionless when it comes to helping people transact with us so you've got to there's a few things there isn't there which i suppose you're constantly working on to make it you know i bought a book yesterday on amazon Mm. one click i didn't i didn't even realize i was about to buy it but, you know, I'm glad it was the most incredible experience. They're the masters of it. I mean, Bezos has written a book about called, I think it's called One Click. Yeah, right. What are you doing to overcome these friction points, which is, you know, not only I'm going to borrow someone else's car or I'm going to rent my car out on a car sharing service, but, you know, there's photos that I'm going to need to take if I need to borrow the car. There's some technology that I need to interact with in order to get the key. They're not insurmountable, but they're not simple things necessarily. Is this stuff you're working on all the time to educate? Yeah, and 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 trying to build that into the product. I guess what we've done in our app, because uh, we do have an app now, is we try to – there is a few steps to it. You've got to basically book the car, find the car. So our GPS, you know, we, we show you where it is on the map, link to Google Maps, helps you find the car. Then you need to uh, take photos of the car. You need to access the car. So that's the sort of main steps that you've got to do. So the approach that we've taken is to guide uh, people in the app through that flow as smoothly as possible. So if you make a booking on our on our, on our site, you open up the app and it'll say, right, step one, you've got to find the car. Click here to open it up in Maps. And so, oh, great, well, that was easy. All right, I'm now at the car. Step two, take the photos. Here's, here's the photos. Here's exactly what you got to do. Da, 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 da. Step three, open the lockbox. Here's the lockbox code. You know, so yeah, right. you can actually make it really simple. You, you could actually, um, maybe you've considered it, you could gamify that process, couldn't you, to make it quite fun? Yes. Yep. And we've discussed gamification and it's one of those things on the, uh, on the develop list that never quite gets up to the top. But yes, that would be a potential way of. Well, I guess it's a big idea. But gee, if you crack that nut, you'd, you'd um, yeah, you could open up a whole new market. Where, where's the business at? How many years in, Will, are you now? So we started in uh, 2013. So you're, you're eight years in. Where's the business at? Give us a sense of size. Uh, so we have about 180,000 borrowers 
borrowing about 3,000 cars and we do about 22,000 trips a month now and there's roughly $30 million of transactions happening a year on the, on the platform. You happy with that? Yes, I am. I mean, like, like uh, probably a lot of business owners you speak to, I probably had us had us at that position after two years, but that was probably incredibly unrealistic. But certainly, if you looked at the cohort of businesses that started when when Carnex door did in two thousand thirteen, I would imagine that we must be amongst the the top few as it's turned out. So, you know, you do a comparative analysis like that, looks really good. Does it match up to what I was hoping for? Nowhere, nowhere close. Well, I mean, with all, with respect, I guess three thousand cars. I would have thought more. Sorry, do I say four thousand? Well, four thousand cars. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an idea. It's a category in an industry in its infancy, isn't it? I mean, as as a population, we don't necessarily understand it fully. I know Airbnb. I mean, I've got an Airbnb myself. I mean, everyone understands that. But outside of Airbnbs, that whole car thing might be a little bit more difficult. I interviewed a fellow, a, a lawn mowing bloke from Tennessee last year. Um, he sold his business for 10 million bucks and started a, an Uber for lawnmowers. And again, you know, it's that sort of slow trajectory of trying to get that hockey stick inflection. Maybe it's just a, a matter of time. Well, yeah, our, our curse, Tim, is that we can only grow at 100% a year as opposed to some of these businesses like yeah, like Uber's another good example. Or Airbnb have had periods where they've 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 had this explosive growth. So, in in some senses, yeah, it's a pity that it's not like that. But in in other ways, it's a hell of a lot better than than other opportunities out there. You've got some pretty amazing partnerships: Hyundai, Caltex, Greenfleet. How does a little business come and strike deals with the big boys? Well. I guess the short answer, I mean, Greenfleet, so if a borrower borrows our cars, the emissions that come from that, we offset through Greenfleet. Um, but they're, they're an amazing company and an amazing partner. So I'd recommend to everyone to sort of check them out. Maybe consider offsetting your own personal emissions. So when I first launched Car Next Door, I tried to partner with a few businesses. I got in contact with, with uh, a guy from Virgin thinking that they could be a good partner. But when you're really small, no one really wants to talk to you. But got to the stage where we were maybe turning over, I don't know, $5 million a year or something like that. And we'd just done a capital raise and someone from Caltex reached out to us and they were looking at expanding the ways. But I guess no one's thinking that petrol is the fuel of the future. And so they're trying to work out how, how do we remain relevant in, in transport going forward. And so when you get to a certain size, uh, often people like that start to come out to you. Come out the woodwork. Yeah. And then with Hyundai, that was a bit of a different story. So Hyundai are one of our bigger investors, the global Hyundai Corporation. And that came from me reaching out to the COO. So I was like, look, what we're doing is really relevant to Hyundai. Um, let's let's catch up. And he was keen to meet. And then that ended up becoming a bit very big investment and partnership over time. So Part of it's proactive and then part of it is just once you get to a scale, things will start to come to you. Yeah, and I would add to that too, for any small business owner listening, um, creating great content, whether it be a podcast or a YouTube channel and being helpful in the way you market your business. Often that puts your head above the trench, gets you noticed and people reach out. It's certainly my experience. How does the Hyundai partnership, what does that look like, Will? Are there, are there Hyundai's 
at certain dealers that people can go and, and rent or what does that do? How do you do it? I guess the the thinking that Hyundai and probably nearly all car manufacturers are thinking is that we're in a world now where everyone drives their own car that they own and the world in the future is probably going to be self-driving cars that are not individually owned, shared self-driving cars. And so, like, thinking really long-term, they're trying to work out, oh, if Hyundai wants to survive and thrive in that world, what do we need to do to get from current situation to there? And so, given that the car sharing, you know, we're not, we're not into the self-driving, but it's a big, it's the sharing part, they're using it as a learning experience and a and how can we partner together to get more shared cars out the road because that could become a good self-driving platform down the track. So there's that longer term, but then there's shorter term stuff. So Hyundai have got a bunch of cars on the platform that they rent out. We are working with them to work out how can people do extended test drives of Hyundai cars through the car next door platform. So we've got a lot of Hyundais on the platform and it just increases their exposure. It's like, it costs a car company a lot of money to get someone to take a test drive and this way they can actually have people pay them to take a test drive. So it's... <laughs> Turning the tables, I love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Marketing these days, uh, local marketing was very good to you in the early days of, of setting up Car Next Door. What importance do you attach to marketing and what role does marketing play in success these days? Well, we've been on a bit of a, a journey since COVID. So, I mean, to start with, the major marketing strategies that work for us are SEO. So we invest a lot in making sure that we just organically rank in things that we want to rank in and have done a lot of work on long tail SEO in particular. And then referral and word of mouth. They're, they're our two biggest ones and they're free. So I love them. And then there's PR, which um, being a pretty new and in- innovative business like ours, it's very easy for us to get in in the media. Um, so that I sort of consider that closer to the free side of things. And then on the paid side, we've tested a lot of different things, but Google SEM is a big one. Uh, so just, you know, car sharing Sydney, car rental, Randwick, that kind of stuff, Google Ads. And then to a lesser extent, Facebook have been the ones that we've, we've spent big money on. But when COVID hit, we wound that right back and said, right, we're only going to spend money on a lead where we get our share of the money back within uh, two or three months. And so we cut that right back. And what was interesting about that is that made us think, right, well, basically I took a lot of the budget away from the marketing guys and so now they're thinking, well, if we haven't got this money to spend on Google, what do we do here? And so they spent a huge amount of time and effort further strengthening the SEO, which, you know, then provides more and more free leads and then also working on on the conversion funnels and like, all right, let's get the landing pages right, let's get our messaging right or we're having this step here that a lot of people are falling off on. Let's let's work on that. So I think that, I mean, I, I'm keen on your uh, definition of marketing, but I think that marketing encompasses that whole, not just the searching for people, but that whole conversion through to actually using. So we just did a lot of work on, on that, which is an area that I want to keep everyone really focused on. So kind of keen to still starve the marketing budget a bit in order to get that focus. Mm. Marketing's everything and everything is marketing probably that conversion piece, once you've got the inquiry and you've got someone inside, you know, the the car next door environment, I mean, sales has got to kick in at some point and that conversion thing's got to happen. The referral marketing's interesting, Will. Do you, 
I know it, it's sort of free. I just think referral marketing comes from the fact that you've got a great product or service, which isn't free. That costs you money to get to that point. Do you encourage referrals and or reward referrals? Yeah, so interesting story with that. So we, um, we, we've always had a lot of referrals. It's just, you know, you use us and you're, you're talking to your mate and you say, oh, you should try a car next door, you know, you'll get a great van around the corner from that, you know, whatever. And then the next person joins, they say, yep, how did you find out about us? Well, I was referred by Tim. So we thought, wow, we're getting so many leads here. Let's set up a, a referral system so that Tim can send a text message or, a, or an email to his mate and say, hey, use this code, you'll get a $15 credit, and then Tim gets $15 as well. And we thought, oh, this is going to, if just nothing's working really well, this is going to blow our socks off. But we've had that now running for a few years and still 90% of our referrals are just word of mouth. People actually, I don't know, I've had the same thing. Giving someone a promo code kind of almost undermines the referral. The reason that I refer someone something is because this is a great product. I love it. And it's kind of, kind of, kind of going to make me look good by telling you about it. And it's just like spontaneous. As soon as you pull out the, oh, and use this code and I'll get 15 bucks, but you'll get 15 bucks too. It's good for, it feels yeah, dirty. So, feels a bit dirty. Um, yeah, so we've kept it in there, but it's certainly, like really what you need to focus, what we focus on is just making the product better and better, easier and easier to use, trying to make our customer service better and better all the time, which we're not perfect at, but, but that's, that's the goal. And the more that that happens, the more that people just naturally tell each other. Your customer service, what does that look like? Because I imagine there would be a lot of people going, oh, I can't find the car or can't find the keys or... Can't get it, yeah, can't get in the lockbox. So is that a, um, you got live chat on the app or have you got a a phone number and a call centre somewhere? Yep, so we've got a a frontline team that's predominantly in the Philippines and we directly employ, so they're our team. We don't, we're not like outsourcing because I think that that's a really bad way to, to grow a team in the Philippines. So we've got a whole management system and structure there and they consider themselves car next door team members. But we've, we've currently got phone, email, a ticketing system and, and chat, which, you know, I'd like to have it simpler. So we're really focusing a lot on the chat at the moment. We've just made it so you can do the chat on the app, which we couldn't do before. Oh, that's awesome. And so, yeah, if we can focus as much resources on just getting a great response on chat that's going to be good and then have phone and, and email as a backup. You had any uh, knocks on the door or nice little emails with open checkbooks ready to buy here? <laughs> oh, look, there's, there's always, as we've gotten through the sort of battling stage, we've received quite a bit of interest over the last few years on that front. So, I mean, I guess the short answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> but, look, we're, we're just very focused on, we think we've only just scratched the surface with what we've done, as you're saying. You've got a lot more value to add before it's time to sell it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. There's huge opportunity, like 4,000 cars. There's something like, we, we think that the, the potential number of cars for us is 130,000 that we can have on there. So, yeah, there is a huge scope for growth. And just every year, more and more people, you know, maybe like yourself, decide, oh, I've got this car sitting around doing nothing. It's pretty bad use of money. I and now, you know, if we get five or six cars around the corner from you, you're like, well, geez, I only use a car once every month, so I'll just use this. And more and more people switch to that over time, and and we can sort of gradually 
but it's just a slow-moving process. You've got to got to wait for people's cars to die and for them to need to make that decision to buy a new one and they go, yeah, I don't need to do that, so now I'm going to join. Will, uh, great story, buddy. It's lovely to speak to someone who is on purpose as much as you. I hope that remains the case. Carnextdoor.com.au is where you can go and try the service. Maybe you want to list your car, maybe you want to borrow a car, but go and check it out, carnextdoor.com.au. And that was Will Davies, the founder. Thanks, buddy, and congratulations and good luck in the future. Thanks very much for having me, Tim. Well, there you go, team. Car Next Doors, Will Davies. What a solid bloke he is, uh, on purpose and doing great things. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with him. Attention grabber number one. You may have picked up my love for Will's decision to create an on-purpose business that 100% aligns with what he stands for. If you're not on purpose, I encourage you to get on purpose. There's many ways of doing it. Google it, how to get on purpose. Probably one of the great books to read would be the one by Simon Sinek, all about finding your why. Attention grabber number two. I love how Will cleverly used local area marketing to test his prototype and to slowly but surely grow the business in those early days. I think it's genius. And having a stand at the local Bondi farmer's market, that is particularly genius. Who would have thought of that for a car sharing service? But I think it's a great use of a farmer's market, you know, get your sourdough and sell your new business. It's awesome. Attention grabber number three. I love how Will utilised a virtual assistant in the Philippines to research his potential competitors. You know, such an inexpensive way to get a read on the competitive landscape. If you would like help with a virtual assistant, I have a wonderful contact that can help you with that. Email me, tim at timreid.com.au and I'll point you in the right direction. That's what grabbed my attention. I would love to know what grabbed yours. Hit pause and tell me by simply calling me, or at least calling the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline on plus six one four eight zero zero one five one five zero. Plus six one four eight zero zero one five one five zero. Just like listener Leaf did. It's your host. Mr. Timbo Reed. How are you, Timbo? Leif Thomas here from We're All About Grout. Uh, I used to be a little bathroom renovation company called White Sands, a little award-winning company. But uh, due to COVID and a little bit of illness, I decided to analyse the company and discovered that I really did need to focus on a bit of a niche and that was, instead of the renovations, it was grout and silicon replacement. Best decision I've ever made. Really was. Got rid of all the all the headaches and dramas and stripped it right down to the basics. Best decision. Basically, I'm ringing to say good day. I'm ringing to say I really, really appreciate your your podcast. I think I listen to between an hour and two hours a day as I'm driving around. So my Analysis prowess is about to end and I'm about to really hit the button on the marketing. I think with some development, I think we're going to be kicking some big goals. I really feel that, feel quite positive about the future. And, uh, I mean, I'm looking at things like from your, from your podcast, Design Crowd, the, you know, Net Registry, Bonjoro, Smile.io, Review.io, who else? Authentic Education. Oh, that was a good one. Femora. Anyway, 
we might reach back out to you in six months and, uh, and see how it's all going. But, mate, please keep up the great work. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's and really when you hear all the uh, feedback from people that listen to your podcast, it pretty much shows that the proof is in the pudding. Please keep it up. Thanks, mate. See ya. Hey, thank you so much, Lee. Thank you for leaving the message. Thank you for listening to my podcast one to two hours a day. That is awesome, mate. You must be because of sort of going back to old episodes. I love that. That means you're addicted. And, you know, we've built a bit of an emotional attachment, you and I, Leaf. I like that. Stick around, buddy. Get rid of the, uh, what did you call it? The analysis paralysis. Um, you've identified so many resources that I've mentioned on this podcast over the years. My advice to you, buddy, would be to action it. You're on fire. I can hear it in your voice. So get out there and action some of those ideas. Everyone else, if you want to know of a good resource, you know, it might be search engine optimization expert or a website expert or whatever it is, feel free to email me, tim at timreid, reid.com.au. I'll point you in the right direction. And coming up in the future, I will add a whole lot of resources to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Next episode, we catch up with a Kelvin Klein lingerie model. Yes, indeedly doodly, whose retail business is absolutely booming. You'll learn more about that in the next episode. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Give us a buzz on the Small Business Big Marketing hotline, 0480-015-150. If you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, and if you got this far, I reckon you are, there's 544 more episodes on the Listener app or on your favourite podcast app, whatever that may be. As has been the case for the past 12 years, I've presented this show all by myself. My name is Timbo Reed, and it's been lovingly pulled together by my substitute producer, Beth Gibson, whilst Big Dave is having a break, <laughs> probably from me. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now. Listener.